thank you so much for listening to the Fundamental Nerd Podcast. My name is Nate. And my name is Andrew. And, and together, together we, we are, are the, the Fun, fun and Mental, and mental nerds. nerds. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah, we, nailed it. All right. Yeah, we did it. Yeah, we did it. <laughs> Um, yeah, this is a Fundamental Nerd Podcast. We just talk about nerdy things, and uh, we make you sit through it because you chose to stay here. Yep, anything nerdy is fair game, from cool nerdy books to movies to music to pretty much anything. Yeah, um, and even, I guess we both kind of agreed we're doing some weird abstract kind of nerdy stuff today, which... Um, we'll kind of get to right now um yeah. i'm gonna be the uh, player one this week because you know every video game has a player one player two and we like to switch controllers because we don't fight for first place um luigi but is I'm... <laughs> luigi is actually the coolest i definitely agree with you on that we've got that really yeah. high jump in uh mario 2 but um yeah i love that and then luigi's match is such a fun game yeah. oh it's so good i still haven't played the new one i need to get around to that um, but yeah, sorry, uh, tangent done. So we're both talking about <laughs> abstract things. We were kind of talking about this a little bit more before the show. Uh, we kind of were both struggling with what we wanted to talk about this week because we both have a lot of things we want to talk about. But um, with NaNoWriMo kicking off this month, I thought it'd be a really fun thing to talk about um, world building. Um, everyone who plays Dungeons & Dragons does this on some level where you're just kind of like putting together a world that you like want to interact with everything from like land masses to like towns and like the people that inhabit there and like magic and things like that so i thought that'd be fun to talk about yeah world building is a great topic i actually prefer building most of the world up because i can't be bothered to memorize the modules like every aspect so mm -hmm. like i'll just steal parts of it like maybe the religion and the maps from it and then i'll completely create the rest of the world myself I'm like this is what this is now it's it's, it's my thing which is cool yeah yeah. Speak, speaking of uh, building things that are your own, what, what's exactly. your topic? Well, today I want to <laughs> kind of go into, I'm very passionate about um, Commander. It's my pretty much the only format I play for Magic. And mm -hmm. um, one of the things that I get asked a lot in my local groups and stuff like that is how I build decks. Because a lot of my decks seem to be very streamlined and they seem to be well put together. And so I kind of have a deck formula that I've kind of based off of um, another podcast um, called Command Zones. Um, deck formula that I use for pretty much all of my decks. It's kind of the DNA of each deck I put together. And so I kind of want to go over that and what makes a good commander deck. So, mm -hmm. um, so well, I just wanted to kind of start off by saying uh, before I went into world building, the the reason why this actually popped into my head um, is because it's uh, NaNoWriMo. It actually started um, about 14 hours from the point of us starting to record this. And oh, yeah, I have already... Yeah, it's November, and um, I have already written uh, 1,800 words today. So Wow, I completely remembered it was today, and I'm not going to start writing as soon as we're done with this podcast. Yes. Yeah. Yes, I totally mean, I'm going to go do. back to it, yeah. I mean, I've, I've been working on a story right now, so it's it's kind of got me all enraptured. I'm trying to front load my words right now because as the month goes on, it, as the month goes on, it gets a little bit harder to keep up with it. But yeah, I'm, I'm working on that. This is the hardest part for me. Whenever I come with a book, I have like an outline of like, okay, I think it's going to go this way. These are some of the character names I like. But then starting it, like, where do you start the story? Like, and so kind of going through, like, I write stuff and then try to figure out, after I write it, I try to figure out where should the story start? Should it start where I started it? Or does it need to start in action? Should it start here? How much time... How much of this writing is important for the reader? Anyways. You are, you are talking about the creative writer's dilemma. And I will tell you where you should start because it's NaNoWriMo is just by putting words on paper, getting your rough draft out there, and then working on it from there. You don't have to write from start to finish. There's so many authors 
that don't even write the beginning of the book until like they're completely done like fleshing it all out. When I start designing a game, I put a thousand little rules and stuff in there, and I ended up just cutting down the rules as I go through. It's easier to subtract than it is to add to things. Exactly. And so I try, I try to go with a giant explosion of things and then see what works and what's dragging the game down or what's unnecessary, and I take those away later. But it's it's interesting how like the correlation between the two is always seen. Anyways, I can go on tangents yeah. about that. Oh, that's yeah, a whole no, other episode. No, and it's, I mean, <laughs> that's actually kind of like what I'm going to be talking about with uh, world building kind of falls into that same realm of like you want to create something and kind of break it down. Um, I did do a little research on this as I was thinking about it. Um, I figured I would just kind of start with like where I came into world building as like a young kid in like third grade is like my first real memory of it all the mm-hmm. way to like some research I did on some authors and how they do it. Sorry, my chair is like really squeaky today. So you guys are going to have to bear with that through the podcast. I don't think I can edit it out. I'm so sorry. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, I just kind of want to start off with um, when I was in third grade, um, we had a Super Nintendo and pretty much the only games I ever played on there were Spanky's Quest, which is like you play as like a monkey that like blows like gum and like turns into like balls and like throws them at like evil vegetables. Interesting. Don't really understand the game to this day, but it was really fun. A lot of Mega Man X, but the game I probably played the most of was Final Fantasy 2, which kind of like gave me that awestruck like look at this magical realm that exists that someone completely made up where there's like goblins and like you can go to the moon and there's like a space whale you ride to the moon and there's like a giant robot and like there's a whole planet underneath the planet like just like this wackadoodle world and it like really got my gears turning and like man it'd be so cool to like make a world like this so um a little bit after that was when i got my first like dungeon dragons books i got those for christmas there's a picture of me like holding them up like a little nerd with like this like cowlick thing <laughs> going on like on christmas morning it's it's adorable and i, I love the picture of me because it kind of shows my like origin story but um that kind of like led me towards like thinking about like how would a world exist if it had magic what would the government be like there how would the people act you know things like that and like when you're a kid like you have these really th- like simple things like well there would be good people that fought bad orcs and that's how it would be and magic would be <laughs> everywhere and everyone can do it but you know that doesn't like make for good storytelling so um when i look at it now as an adult um there's a lot more to it like when you look at the forgotten realms that is like a world that has been being created for the last 40 some years when you really break it down like ever since dungeons and dragons first existed they've been adding new rules adding new regions like destroying things adding new things creating new planes and stuff like that and it's like an ongoing process with tons of really specific rules but like when you compare that to the way that authors create like their magical worlds they actually, mm-hmm. um, by nature, don't implement very many rules because every time you make a rule, it's something you can't do anymore. Um, yeah. Uh, Victoria Schwab, uh, again, one of my absolute favorite authors, she does this. Um, she, I don't know how recently she's done them, but she does these like little like web video things where she kind of talks about like little things about how her writing process goes, and she actually did an entire thing on world building and creating magic systems. And um, her number one rule is to not give yourself rules. <laughs> don't don't limit the way that your magic system works, which I think is like a really interesting way to look at it all. Like, don't say like magic is performed in these specific ways and can really done this way and blah, blah, blah. Because as soon as you need magic to do more than it can do, you can't do that anymore. And you like wrote yourself into a corner on it. Or you, you have to, um, I'm going to coin a, a phrase that a friend of mine used. Um, he calls it Terry Goodkind it. 
and it's like one magical <laughs> spell that was not supposed to happen at the very end fixes everything for you. Yeah. And it's like it just feels kind of like it's you've been robbed of an interesting story or plot line at the very end because um, magic is magic and something that yeah you didn't think could happen happens. But it is wonderful when you read a book though in a series where the world is so seamless that you kind of you believe it. Like one of my favorite authors, Neil Gaiman wrote a book mm-hmm. called Neverwhere and it's kind of one of the yes. first books of his I've read and it's like the real world and he breaks it and then you kind of like you see like parts of this other world and it all makes sense like he puts like something absurd in there like a like a uh, a fact in, that's on a train and there's like a, a king and something in that train and you like mm-hmm. you believe it there's an angel that lives underground and you believe it and it's like it's interesting because the way he makes the world and the rules change constantly but it flows in a way that it's actually more believable than the real world sometimes is. And when a writer does that, another good one is you and I both read is the Iron Druid does a really mm. good job of, um, yeah. Kevin Hurd is world. fantastic at creating a world. Um, what I first wanted to talk about was, um, Victoria Schwab in her video. Um, she actually <laughs> talks about this really good point about world building. She calls it the, uh, the window versus the door. Um, a lot of like fantasy authors that write like those big, thick, huge, like, tomes of novels there's like 18 books in the series and each book is like a thousand two hundred pages um they're they're what what are called door writers they open the door and show you every single thing in the room they walk you from like bookshelf to bookshelf and list every single book that's listed on there they tell you every chair that's in there and people that sit in a chair and they make these really good immersive worlds like forgotten realms and things like that but she likes to think of herself more as a window uh, world builder, where she basically puts up a window and she says, hey, you want to look in there? Doesn't that look nice? And you can look in, you can see that there's, in fact, bookshelves and a chair and things like that. But you can't really read what's on the bookshelves because they're so like far away and you can't quite focus on them. So you have like this understanding like, oh, that's someone's den or that's someone's living room. And that's about it. So you just get to kind of go on your merry way being like, that's a really nice den that they have there. Yeah. And she likes that so much more because she doesn't have to explain every little detail and spend like 14 chapters explaining how magic works in the world. She just gets to let a character cast a spell and have it do its thing yeah. and be done. And it goes to the whole idea of don't waste your reader's time. Like, yeah, I've read books where they've like talked about every course of a meal and it's like, OK, OK. And it, it doesn't matter. <laughs> like yeah. later on, none of that mattered. Um, and actually, a good per- um, person who, who puts a lot of details and it doesn't end up mattering or he makes it not matter is um, the Game of Thrones guy. Um, what's his name? Uh, oh, J- uh, J.R. Martin. J.R. Martin, yeah. George yeah, he, um, he'll he write like characters in. You'll start liking them. He'll kill them off before their stories do anything. And it's just dead ends. And it's yeah. like, it, he completely wastes the reader's time. And it irritates the heck out of me. I don't know, if, I don't know if uh, waste is the right word. I think he sets it up with this like... Ooh, I'm gonna make you feel something for this character way, but I do. I definitely know what you mean. Yeah, I so waste that. is probably um, harsh to say. It's not. I don't mean waste. It's just like, it's. It could have been left out of the story, and it wouldn't have changed the story. But um, at the same time, um, I still like the book, so it was. It was yeah. not like I wasn't gonna read it and mm-hmm. not enjoy it. But it is interesting because yeah, sometimes in those parts yeah. of books, I will skip over it. If I think, oh, he's just listing things that won't matter, then I will skip that part and try to figure out where it goes from there. But yeah, exactly. Um, but yeah, the other thing I want to talk about too is um, Brandon Sanderson. Um, he's written some very extensive series that have a lot of plot to him, a lot of world and things like that. And he does a fantastic job of just like creating a magic system that just kind of functions in the world without having too many things going for it. Um, he actually does. Um, 
part-time teaching at BYU for a creative writing course. I don't know if he how often he did or things like that, but he has a whole video series up there that he taught there um, on YouTube. It's totally free to access. I highly recommend watching them. Um, but he kind of talks about his first time he ever went to a conference to talk about world building. And the very first question that they asked was like, how do you approach making a magic system? And the first thing he said was making uh, a rule for the magic. And every single person that was on that panel shot him down so hard and said, every time you create a rule, you are ruining the creativity and the immersion of the story. And he kind of went on and took that to heart. And he made um, a series of like actual like rules for himself. He calls them the Sanderson laws. And um, I'm going to read them off to you and you can kind of laugh at them. But the first one is <laughs> your ability to solve problems with magic in a satisfying way is directly proportional to how well the reader understands said magic. So that first rule is basically stating if magic is end all be all and does whatever it wants to, every time magic is used to solve a solu uh, solve a problem, it doesn't have that pomp and circumstance of like that spell doing something versus mm -hmm. like when spell is like super limited and like every time you cast a spell, it like drains the life out of the user and like they do something truly like monumentous with that spell and like they drain off so much of their essence that they nearly die and solve that problem. It has way more of an impact. Yeah. That's that Terry Goodkind issue that we were talking about earlier yeah. where yeah. The big magic can just solve everything. just mm -hmm. didn't feel as satisfying yeah. as a little yeah. De Deus Ex Machina, the... The the God God intervened and everything is okay now because I didn't know what to finish writing. Mm. <laughs> um, and then rule number two is actually my favorite. It's um, weaknesses are more interesting than powers. So it goes back to that thing where like if you use magic, it costs you something is really fascinating. It's like you were talking about in uh, the Wheel of Time, um, mm -hmm. where men that cast magic, it's very dangerous for them to use it. So it kind of yeah, has that say. like, yeah, it it just makes it more interesting. And then um, number three, I think, is just a pretty universal thing. Expand, don't add. And uh, what he means by that is don't just, like, add in new things. Like, say, like, oh, and also this thing exists, by the way. You have to expand it on, say, like, and by the way, these are how things function in this way and things like that. It's a little more finesse of a thing to say. But, yeah, that, that's kind of how he tackles, like, the concept of, like, a magic system in a world. And just not, like, yeah. Because he actually, like... He does state that, like, in the Mistborn trilogy, the very first book, like, 95% away through the book, he just, like, gave his, like, character, like, a special new power that just, like, solved the problems. And he was like, I can't believe I did that to my readers. Like, that was such a selfish thing for me to do to just, like, write this story and make this finish. But, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. Um, like, in Doctor Who, they, um, they, there's a character called K-9. And mm -hmm. he just fixes a lot of the Doctor's problems because Doctor doesn't carry a gun, but K9 has a stun gun built in and a memory bank. And so he can he's kind of like a, a fix all thing. And so the writers have to find new ways to get rid of K9. Sometimes the doctor's just mean to him, so you stay in the TARDIS this whole episode. And sometimes K9's power batteries like run out within the first ten minutes of the episode and has mm -hmm. to get go back and stuff. It's just interesting because they had to find ways to put the story back into it. Yeah. But um but actually, the the main thing I was thinking of because I thought about that later. But the main thing I thought about when you wrote, were talking about that was Superman. When they first invented Superman, he was too powerful, and so they mm -hmm. invented Superman. They called the Earth Two series of Superman. I believe it's Earth Two. I could be wrong about that. I'm not my my hero lower is not as good as others. But um, where they actually added mine, a lot mine more isn't flaws, either. a lot more flaws into him because he was too perfect, too strong in his original version, and, and he was and he yeah. was too good willed too. That was the other thing. Like he could yeah. do no wrong on top of it all. 
and like even if I think about it nowadays, like who's more compelling, Iron Man or Superman? In my thing, not thinking about movies, but like just as a character. Yeah. And Iron Man's a lot more interesting because he has a lot more flaws he, mm-hmm. as a person and as a character. And so Superman was always that kind of too good. That's the interesting just um, position between Batman and Superman too. Batman's full mm-hmm. of flaws. Superman has no flaws, and it's like that kind of weird. Like you can see both those types of magic, and that aspects. becomes the flaw. Yeah. Yeah. But um, even um, but yeah, even beyond like world building, um, magic is such a small part of building a world, in my opinion. Like, mm-hmm. if you're gonna make a fantasy world, you have to have magic in there if that's what you're gonna have. You can also make make like an Arthurian tale where like magic is very rare and finite in a way. You know, like only like very 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 specific few can use it, which is like fascinating in its own right, in my opinion. But um, beyond that, like um. Uh, a lot of people get really caught up in like, oh, I need to like flesh out my world from start to finish. I need to like mm-hmm. establish every main country in this world and like all their capitals and like all like the prominent like characters and people. And then I need to like write this 300 page like biography that explains like all the different geological like locations and like what happened and then like give every place a political view. You don't need to do that when you're making a world. That stuff can kind of come to light as you're doing it. Or you can even do it not as all if you want to. Or you can even choose not to do it at all if you want to. Um, I think, again, Victoria Schwab, this is why I like her writing so much, is um, she always says that she enjoys writing outsider characters. um, In that her characters don't belong in the setting that they're in. Whether they were from a different location and then brought to the place that they're at now, which makes them an outsider... Or if they were born on the inside but have never been a part of the inside, what it's like to be the outsider. It's all fine and dandy to say that you're making a character that's like, oh, he's an outsider and he's different. Well, but what are the insiders like? Why why is the outsider so different from the insider? She'd probably make a good Doctor Who writer because that's how, like, every perspective of Doctor Who, he's always out on the outside because he's a time traveler out of time. And so, yeah, that'd be kind of cool. Yeah, um, literally every single book that she writes has that aspect to it. It's um like Addie LaRue, her her newest novel, like just does a very good job of explaining what it's like to be on the outside. Um, and then like A Darker Shades of Magic, which again is a series I'm going to talk about extensively on this show at some time in the future, has multiple characters that are the outsiders, even from each other, where they just can't interact at all. And yet they're forced to like interact with this inside world and like one another. It's a very interesting way, but... I was going to say, that's just really good fantasy, right? Like, I'm thinking about, like, all the fantasy books I've ever written, and they kind of fall into a bunch of categories, but the ones that I always land on me are the ones that are outsiders who are kind of have the quest thrusted upon them. Like, mm-hmm. um, Wheel of Time is a good example. Harry Potter is a great example um, of people who are experiencing the world. And you experience the world through their eyes for the first time. It's actually one of the reasons why... Doctor Who, you can start in so many different parts, is that you have new companions, and you're experiencing the world of the Doctor through new companion eyes, and they're asking the questions like you would ask as a watcher as you go through, and that's kind of like in Harry Potter, it's like, what is magic? What is this? What is that? You know, it's like, it's very interesting, like, mindset, but I haven't really thought about how it's the ones I like the most are the outsider looking in, Mm -hmm. or the person who doesn't quite fit in, and they explain the world to you as they go through Yeah, and that's what makes it so fascinating is you're experiencing it as the outsider with the outsider, kind of seeing the world from a new view. Um, That's why, like, and I guess, I guess, I guess right now I am talking more about fantasy world building from like an author standpoint, but Mm -hmm. I also think building a world for Dungeons and Dragons and things like that is just like the most satisfying thing you can do for yourself and for your players. Like, 
if you look at Forgotten Realms as it stands right now, playing as an orc or a goblin or anything along those lines is just like a big faux pas. You can't go into any major cities and have that be okay. There's going to be a lot of like bigoting and like, you know, like racial tensions and things like that because like orcs and goblins are inherently evil. But if you want to let your players play as goblins, you can make them like totally neutral, acceptable characters that are just like good at doing grunt work or are like Mm -hmm. on the same level of gnomes, but like they're more like, like sneaky conniving versions of gnomes where gnomes are more like cunning and happy. And you can kind of have that dynamic and let it be that its own thing. And you can make your own world like that. And it's really just fascinating to me. Yeah. My favorite world, um, like template I base off is Elberon. I really like like the aesthetic of it. And I have done a lot of just like random stuff where I allowed my players to play whatever character they want into it and do whatever they want. And I've had some interesting things like a fallen, I had somebody who played um, the angelic race and he was playing a fallen um, cleric. And it was so much fun to play um, a character that I wasn't expecting them to play. And I had to kind of rethink how the world would react to him. And so it was really cool to set up scenes where he had to deal with people who um, were bigoted towards him and other things like that. And so, I think it's it makes it's the whole thing with flaws. The more flaws you have, the more interesting the story you're going to tell. Yeah. Um, if everybody's yeah, just I'm... Wood Elves going into a Wood Elf city, there's not very much conflict there. Yeah, it's funny that you actually bring up Eberron. That's actually like my favorite Dungeon and Dragons setting. Um, it is very like steampunk esque in a setting because there's a lot of airships and like it's a lot of like post like war like machinery and things like that. And they have like automatons like all that stuff. Um, but yeah, it's a really cool world, and that's actually like a fan world that was made that was like officially accepted as like D and D lore yeah. at some point. So it's just kind of proof that like when you flesh out a world, you don't have to do it all at once. You can do it slowly over time and get this wonderful setting. And you don't have to take everything from the book. Like Elberon, I add things. Like my my characters in my Elberon settings always start off with an airship. I, I like them having that as a base of operations. But and that's very Elberon. But I also like um, a book series which Nate um, started reading, The Magicians. Um, and in that series is a Narnia type world. And I've added that to Elberon. So my Elberon actually has a book series that's made for children to talk about a world <laughs> and there's gateways in the world to get to that, that, that kind of magical world. And so my Elberon actually has a Narnia, a twisted dark version of Narnia, but it has Narnia in it. And it's because I wanted to have that. I mean, I think as a DM, most worlds that you create yourself will be a mash of like all your favorite nerdy things that you like and do. But um, but yeah, don't don't think you if you pick up a knot on a module, you have to stick with that. Everything that's in there, do what you want. <laughs> yeah. so, so exactly, fun. and 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 I guess that's where it really comes down. It's like with world building, is you get to make your own world, you get to make your own rules and things like that. Um, when you're making your own world for like Dungeons and Dragons, or like if you're playing like Legend of the Five Rings, or if you're playing Shadowrun or anything like that, you get to choose the rules and how they function. And you can have as many rules or as few rules as you want to and let your players influence the world as much as you do. You can let them literally find new taverns and just make you make them up on the spot. like, And they can become like major points in your stories in the future. Some I've heard this. I've never experienced it. But there's a lot of DMs that like say you, you stumble upon a tavern and uh, you over there, what's the name of this tavern? And like they let their players literally name the taverns. And you get some really fun things. Um yeah. Um, so I guess um, at this point, I just kind of want to wrap it up as far as world building. Again, this wasn't really like how to build a world, just more how much I love world building and things like that. Um, 
I've actually been working on ba- like making my own world for like the last four or five months. I've been slowly kind of putting together for like a Dungeons and Dragons setting. No, um, yeah, my world's pretty much a it's a steampunk fantasy world. I've um, I guess I can go to now, so I'm calling it Mesmerlands. Um, you know, like to mesmerize and things like that. Um, I am actually um, funny enough. This is kind of how it works with like me building worlds. Is um, so far I've kind of built it off what the west coast of the United States looks like. Um, I literally took a map and I put it down. I traced over the top of it, traced a few like major rivers and like national parks and places like that. And I flopped them down on the map and I've renamed them. Um, Yellowstone is no longer Yellowstone. It's now the uh, Golden Dragon Breeding Pits, where like all the golden dragons are. Um, The the traditional name. Yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) (laughs) The Grand Canyon is no longer the Grand Canyon. It's the Great uh, Catalysm, which is where like something happened and like the earth shrunk down. Um, you know, Arches is now the Demon Portal lands, things like that. So I've like kind of recreated these areas, and I'm using a lot of influences from some of my favorite things, which is going to national parks and camping, and turning them into my own like fantasy world. Mm-hmm. Um, I haven't really fleshed out the magic setting yet, but I'm going to kind of let it do its own thing as I'm writing it. And uh, there's airships, there's ether webs, there's you know stuff like that. So that's kind of what I've cool. been fleshing out. I think it would be really cool. You get a lot of cool characters like that. Like the modern one I was talking about, I built a elf druid hacker who hacked the brown web and mm. could hack trees and like there was, like we had we created this whole like structure of trees and forests that were all connected. Like all the trees could communicate telepathically with each other, so form their own kind of internet. And so I was yeah. able to tap into that internet and find research things and stuff like that. So my character had a bow that was also his hacking rig that turned into a computer. So it was it was just kind of cool things that we did. Um and yeah, you can just do fun things um, with settings and just mm-hmm. add your own kind of twist to them, your own kind of magic, your own kind of everything. Mm-hmm. It's so cool. Yeah. Um, it, it is also worth saying, like, I am kind of like a whimsical writer. I don't really like the whole, like, writing dark fantasy thing. Like, I read a lot of middle grade. Um, I read a lot of middle grade fantasy, which is, I think, part of why I wasn't enjoying Magicians until, like, it started getting halfway through, like, each book. Um, so the first story that I've been writing for my NaNoWriMo is um, it's all about an alchemy shop. And I thought it'd be really fun to make a play on, like, how the alchemy shop has been. And it's literally called Reavers, Sons, Sons, Quote, Sons, Quote, Sons, Quote, Sons, Daughters, Quote, Daughters, Sons, Daughters, Sons, Quote, Sons. Which is basically to say (laughs) that every... Because you know how there's always, like, you know, like, learners and sons and things like that? Well, what happened is it's, like, an alchemy shop that's existed forever and ever and ever. And every time it gets passed down, it's getting passed down through the family. Well, it hit a point where, like, they didn't have any offspring or any heirs to, like, take over. So they willed it to someone else, and they called him their quote-unquote son. And that person willed it on. So every time someone passes away or, like, retires, they pass the shop on to someone new, and they just add another sons or daughters at the end of the sign. (laughs) So we're on um, essentially, like, the 11th um, owner of the shop now. And he's just kind of like, I've got this shop. It's not really doing that well. I don't know what to do with it. And it's just kind of a funny, like whimsical thing that I just wanted to like create this like wonderful setting. And it's already like a place that I know is going to be a location in my settings for Mm -hmm. when I do get an actual game running to have like these characters be you go in here and you see Dreg and he's looking a little exhausted and tired, but he's running a really good shop. You know, it's just wonderful world building without having to do anything strong and prominent. You don't have to know his political um, affiliation. You don't have to know his opinion on every little thing. You just have to know that he's a, a tired potion maker that's really good at what he does. So Yeah. It's funny. Yeah, this book, the story I want to write is kind of a YA kind of book, like level. And um, 
I was I'm playing on the elemental aspect where our planet links all the elements together. And then mm-hmm. the character that's um, the main character can travel between the elements. So he can go into the world of fire or the world of earth or the world of air and um, can go into these different worlds. And so I'm kind of writing all these things and I'm kind of putting them all down. And I'm trying to decide whether that's going to be a novel, a story, or if it's mm-hmm. going to be a board game and it's going to be something you can do in that realm as well. So I'm like, yeah. Why, why not all three? Yeah. I haven't written anything yet, but I will after this. <laughs> yeah, because... Hey, it's uh, it's NaNoWriMo. You can do anything you want to. Write it all down. It doesn't have to be exactly. perfect. It just has to be on paper. But uh, yeah, I guess uh, that pretty much sums up my topic. I just wanted to talk a little bit about uh, world building. It's a very abstract thing. There's no right or wrong way to do it. Well, our next topic in the player two slot is building commander deck. And that's one of the things I love doing is building commander decks. It's kind of fun. um, Well, funny more than fun um, that you picked world building because a part, a lot of part of a kind of world building and kind of that kind of concepts goes into creating commander deck. Cause really when you start building a commander deck, you don't just um, grab a bunch of cards. Well, you can and just say, this is my deck. You don't really normally have a good deck. You kind of want to build around a concept or, something and the main main concept most people Mm -hmm. build around is a commander like what is your commander doing you know who is going to be your commander and that's kind of the first step and then you kind of build out from there Yeah. what is your magic system what does your commander do so like when you build like your zombie deck or if i build like my jora um deck i have a jora deck that's all about suspend and that mechanic and so i threw all the really fun Mm -hmm. cards for suspend in there and i um, a lot, a lot of Jorah players would go for like Eldrazi and like big gross creatures. I went for um, sea monsters and and dragons as kind of my theme of the deck, and um, yeah, and I just kind of put all the cool cards that suspend. And the deck itself is a really good showcase of that mechanic, and I kind of built around it. So when you choose your commander, you kind of choose um, a strategy that you kind of want to go with. There's some commanders that don't have strategies that connected to it, and you can pretty much do anything you want with them. Um, a good example is like send triplets. Um, they let you look at your opponent's hand and cast cards from that opponent's mm-hmm. hand. Um, it's kind of their main thing, but there's no, like, other than the fact that the artifacts, there's no like synergy within the deck with that. There's nothing really you can do beyond them. Um, and so they kind of are a generic commander. Yeah. And then you get like the exact opposite realm where you get like my favorite commander, which is Ural the Mistwalker, um, where he's literally all in on his ability, which is he gets a bonus for every like aura that's attached to him. So, of course, you're going to put tons of auras into that deck for him. And I always find the more narrow the commander is, like the more like specific its abilities are and stuff, the easier it is to build the deck. Like when you pick out Ural, he you look at you get you kind of narrow down your look of, OK, creatures that like enchantments enchantment creatures and auras are kind of like your world of like this is what i'm going to kind of focus on 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 your main stuff and you don't have to worry about a bunch of other cards like you don't you could have some but you don't have to put like an angel tribal or anything outside of that in there you don't really think about tribal cards and so like it's a whole genre of cards you don't have to think about and so the more specific your commander can be um the more focused your deck will probably end up being and that's the thing is like so the first step of course is identifying who you want to run as a commander and what colors you want to play 
Um, the next thing is you want to really think about what your strategy of your deck is going to be. What are you trying to do with the deck? And the third thing you kind of really want to think about is how am I going to win with this deck? You know, what what's my path to victory? And those are kind of the first kind of like outside of thoughts. And it could be as simple as I want to play the new werewolf commander. My strategy is to flip werewolves as fast as possible to beat face. And I'm going to win mm -hmm. by, you know, combat damage. Force. Yeah, exactly. And so um, it doesn't have to be anything super like that. Or you can go into like, I'm going to be a mill deck. I'm going to mill everybody out. But having that concept before you start putting your cards together really does kind of help you pick what kind of lands you want, what kind of other things you want. Because it's actually cards that will basically do things like there'll be lands that help you mill and there'll be, um, you know, artifacts that will also help you mill and give you mana and stuff like that. So you kind of want to make your deck fit your theme um, throughout the whole building process. So, yeah, the first thing you want to do is figure out what what command you want to run, what's your strategy and how do I win? And so it really um, the actual like the numbers I'm going to go through. Um, are my personal numbers. I will also have, um, on hand, I have opened up um, another podcast called Command Zone, who have a really good deck um, primer, and I'll tell you what their numbers for these things are as well. They go a lot higher in some categories than I do, and a lot lower in some other categories than I personally like, but um, it is your personal personal preference. Um, and I'll kind of go into why um, all these things are at these numbers, and what kind of cards I'm actually talking about. Like, what I mean by... Um, kind of the different categories but the main categories you'll have is your know, commander which is of course one card and it's what you want to do you have your decks plan sometimes two sometimes two sometimes, sometimes two, yeah. you get two commanders so true. you get partners i actually partners is one of my favorite thing i collect them all so yes two oh it's kind of funny i missed that yeah next one is your, your deck plan kind of what your deck is kind of do there's a certain amount of cards that should be focused on so if you're a creature deck that's where your creatures live um if you're an enchantment deck that's where like, your enchantments and stuff like that live that's kind of your what your deck is trying to do, um, part of the deck. And then you have um, your, your kind of mana base, so your lands, and you have your mana ramp, which are two separate things, and I'll go into that in, in a minute. Um, then you have your card draw. Basically, the more card draw you have, the more efficient your deck will run. Um, mm -hmm. And then you have your targeted removal and your board wipes. Um, and that's kind of your, your main categories, at least what I go through when I build a deck. So the first thing I always do is I pick my commander, and I build my land base. So I tend to have my mana sorted out, and then I go right into my mana ramp, because for me, those are linked, and then I uh, move on. So for your land base, um, the command zone recommends 36 to 38 lands, which I think is a little much. Um, I tend to go around 35. I, I know you were judging me just now, because I was telling you I had 32 land in my deck, plus uh, six mana rocks, so... yeah. Um, that is quite low. So you'll you might end up getting more mana screwed in some games than other games. Um, that's just yeah. The math I think is like I think if you have thirty six, you tend to have a land um a land to drop for the first ten turns or something like that. I can't remember what the math is, but um, but yeah, I per personally prefer that. Um, but there are things that can kind of change that. Like if I am playing a deck that has like I said a lot of artifacts, I might add more artifacts um ramp than I will lands so yeah there's a balance there um um personally i don't like to go under 35 if i can help it and i try to get as close to 37 as i can in lands um now you just have me second guessing my mana base as a whole <laughs> and this I'm, I'm actually going to be a little bit more broad on this one because there is a lot more i can go into like how many of like basic lands should you take how many dual lands should you take um i tend to take a lot more than people suggest i like to have 
um, a lot more. And I don't, it's an OCD part of me, but I don't like having an unbalanced basic land sets. So I can't take like, because theoretically, if you have forest in your deck, you should have more forest than other lands because most of your ramp is in green. But I always have to balance them out. So if I have like mountains, forests, and swamps, they, I'll put four of each in or I'll put three of each in, stuff like that. And then mana ramp is kind of where I build. After I build the, my, my mana base, I kind of have all the lands in there I, I need. I have about 35, 36 in there. And then I go to mana ramp. Now, the command zone tells you to put 10 different pieces of mana ramp in. And I personally sit around eight. Um, but you can go up and down as your deck needs. Uh, mana ramp are things that increase your mana in any way. So cultivate is a good example of mana ramp. Mm-hmm. And so is soul ramp. Love cultivate. Any kind of artifact that adds any extra mana. The cheaper your mana ramp is, the better. Um, because the whole goal of mana ramp is to help get your commander out sooner. So your deck can do the thing your deck wants to do as soon as possible. So I like a lot of the two-drop um, mana rocks you can get. There's a, a good set of them in com- um, the new Commander Legend set. Well, new. It's kind of cycling out now. But um, mm-hmm. they come into play tapped. Yeah. They're quite good. Um, the diamonds, like the Moss Diamond and things like that. They are two mana. They tap for one color. Um, and they come into play tapped. But it's just a really quick way to get your ramp going. The Signets are another good um, a good ramp. Um, Soul Rings, stuff like that. But yeah, you I I aim for about ten, um, eight in my decks. Um, some decks I've I've gotten up to ten. Um, I just built a deck that has thirty eight lands and ten ramp, and I want to see exactly how well the mana goes with that. Um, mm-hmm. but you do sacrifice. Like the more lands you put in, the more ramp you put in, the less of the other fun things you could do with your deck. And so it's that's why I tend to build those first. So I don't see them as replacing the cards I want in my deck. I just see okay, this is how many slots I have left, and then I try to. This is the uh, this is the essential part of the deck. This has to be in here. So let's just get it out of the way and be done. Exactly. All right. Next um, next category I want to talk about is card draw, and that's kind of the next thing I look at. Um, card draw keeps you in the game and keeps you going. Um, anything that adds more cards than you started off with is card draw. Anything that gives you the same amount of cards in the end is card selection, and those are two separate things. So if you have a card that lets you like, um, you you play it, you look at the top three cards of your deck, you can put one in your hand and the other two on the top or bottom of your deck. That is card selection. You don't actually draw a card out of it, but you do. You just kind of replace a card that you have in your hand. But anything that gives you... Yeah, like cards recycling and things like that. Yeah, anything that gives you um, net more cards, like something like Phyrexian Arena, which gives you a card each turn for one life, stuff like that, that's um, a card draw spell. So anything that basically adds to your hand. Um, The Command Zone um, um, asks you to put about 10 of those into your deck, um, which is quite a bit. But the thing that you have to remember is that there are a lot of cards that do two things that you can put into your deck. Um, there are creatures yeah. like um, a mold drifter that can be a creature for you. It can be card draw for you. And so it fits both slots. The thing with like mana rocks, you can have creatures that add mana, which can kind of be your mana rocks. You learn your, your, your elves mm-hmm. that add one uh, mana for tapping them. You have um, like woodland um, elves that sit your deck for a forest and put them to play. Um, what else have actually and things like that so you'll have um you have double duties that these things can can kind of run so yeah to to not get uh, too far ahead of you one of my favorite double duty cards is uh phyrexian rebirth where it destroys all creatures and it makes a creature that's an xx equal to number of creatures that are destroyed so it's a board wipe and a creature yeah which fills both my great slots so yeah so in commander you always kind of want cards to do multiple things um, and the more things that card can do, the better it's going to be. So if your ramp is putting a body on the table and um, and also getting you an extra land, that's a really good use of a card. Um, I highly recommend if you're playing green, things like wood elves and stuff like that. And then 
of course, if you blink those creatures, if you have a blink side effect, you definitely want a lot of creatures that do double duty. Because if your deck is blinking things, if you blink in wood elves, you get a, um, a forest every turn, things like that. So you think about your strategy and how these cards can be really used by your commander and by the other cards you're trying to do. But yeah, you um, like I said, Command Zone looks at putting about 10 in there, which is would be awesome if you can fit. I normally can fit about six, uh, five to six in my decks. Um, and then I kind of run out of space. Um, but yeah. I try to get one. So the ones I do put in to my deck, I try to get consistent card draw ones, ones that will draw mm -hmm. me more than one, um, a handful of cards at a time. So, um, so like things like Frexian Arena, it gives me one extra each turn. I, I like, I, I will wait that over a card that gives me like five cards now, like a sorcery or something like that. And so, um, so I do have less in my decks, but I do tend to have more consistent card draw that stays in play. So that's kind of, more flexible in my mind you can kind of play around with that those numbers uh, five or six is probably a good um a good range to hit next thing i want to talk about is um targeted removal now they have five pieces of targeted removal um in this particular list i don't know how old this list is um the meta nowadays has been calling for more and more targeted removal i've seen a lot more decks play like eight to ten which i think is a good idea, but at the same time makes for kind of dull games. If there's too much targeted removal, then no one gets to do anything. And so I, I like to run it around six in there. Um, I like to have about four pieces of my targeted removal be instant speed. So I can stop an infinite combo during a turn, or I can stop um, stuff. And things like um, counter spells and stuff like that, I consider targeted removal because you're removing a targeted card. So the um, thing about targeted removal is it's a one-for-one -one card. Like, you're playing a card that gets rid of one thing, um, and that's actually not that great in Commander, because you have four opponents. So you're down a card, your opponent's down a card, but now your two other opponents are now up a card. So you spent resources to deal with one problem that everybody's facing, and they don't have to spend any resources to, to deal with it whatsoever. And so you have to be very careful with your target removal and how much you want to play and do. So yeah, I like to have about four to six of kind of instant speed um removal options but you can also mm -hmm. um, swap these with other cards like there's cards that like um that will come into play in etb destroy target thing like meteor golem is a great example of a target removal it's on a creature it costs seven um to play but you can put it in any deck and it helps shore up um maybe downsize your deck like a mono red deck can't get rid of enchantments um so a meteor golem is a great answer to get rid of some enchantments for you um Stuff like that. So you can actually tag them in with creatures, and that's where most of my remo target removal kind of lives nowadays, is in creatures um, mm -hmm. and stuff. So I do sometimes hit the ten mark of you know target removal, but it'll be creatures ETB um, effects. You know, a Rex Age here, a Meteor Golem there, and and then like my four to four to six um, instant speed um, removal cards will probably add up to around ten in the end. Um, yeah, but somewhere around there, yeah. But I think when it's on a creature, it's um, it's more it's more fair or fine because you're not always just reacting to things. Like you don't hold on to a creature forever. Sometimes you just need a body, so you play it and you'll just get rid of like a random soul ring because, well, that's that's the only target right now, and I need a two two or one two or whatever it is in play. Mm -hmm. um, I need a blocker. I need a blocker. So sometimes you, you has that kind of versatility, where like a counter spell, especially ones that can only counter certain spells, are very limited to what they can actually do in the game and what they can stop. I remember um, a game I realized if I didn't have Mana Drain in my deck, I might have won. But because I had Mana Drain in my deck, I left two blue mana up, 
and no one played any spell that cost more than two that I and none of them I cared about for like three turns. And so there was three turns where I left two mana that I could have done more things with. And I kind of was thinking about the other cards in my hand, and I probably would have won in those three turns if I wasn't so concerned about trying to get my extra mana off a of mana drain. And um yeah. and stuff like that. That that's how the game works, is you sometimes you play yourself. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah, so you have to think about um exactly what you want to do. And actually I've been finding a lot of my blue decks have less and less um counter spells and more and more things like um Pongify that will destroy target creature and then put a 3-3 three, three and replace it and replace it. Because it's actually easier to deal with problems after they're cast than having to decide whether or not you should be the one to deal with them as they're being cast with a counter spell. Um this is another one where I completely differ from the command zone is board wipes. Um, board, the command zone wants you to put five board wipes in your deck. And I just think that's too many. Five board wipes just is a ton. If you think about it, if every deck has five board wipes in a four-player game, that's that's 20 board wipes. That's a pretty miserable mm-hmm. game if all if, if half those board wipes get played. Well, that's that's my play group in a nutshell. Yeah. So. I, you're, you're, you're explaining how my games go. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I actually play three board wipes. Um, sometimes I'll get four in there, and I don't always play creature board wipes in those uh, sections. Like I have um, destroy all enchantment artifacts as board wipes as well. Um, I have one meta that does not play very many artifacts or creatures, so um, I have certain decks I don't really put in those metas. But I would probably put about three board wipes into a deck that destroy all creatures at most. Um, and so yeah, I think that. Um, yeah, with board wipes, yeah, I tend to be put less in there. But um, I kind of replace those numbers personally, and I have kind of a small personal um, category of board saviors is what I call them. And they're things that protect my boards. So you have your um, Tefri's protections here. You have things that give your whole board indestructible. Um, and yeah, I think those type of cards, I like to have one or two in my deck that are instant speed that protect my whole entire board. Because if somebody board wipes and you protect your board, you tend to win because <laughs> you yeah. you have all your creatures and no one has anything. It's like a it's it's a psychotic rift in reverse. Um, so yeah, so that is um, yeah, pretty much that's board wipes in a nutshell. Um, but always like like I said with all the other ones that Nate pointed out, there are creatures and stuff that board wipe. Um, there's that one he has that makes it um a board wipe. I have a deck that's completely all creatures and every single one of these roles can be played by creatures. There's creatures that when they ETB they board wipe everything. Um, there's creatures that um, when they ETB they draw you cards and things like that or when other creatures come in. So you can actually fill these roles with creatures if you need to double down. If you're a heavy creature deck it's one way to think about um, board wipes and other things. You can put them on creatures. Um, I mean yeah. they are on creatures. <laughs> but yeah. Um, so after that it's kind of now the meat and potatoes of your deck. And um, one of the things that uh, with my kind of version of it, since I run less targeted removal, I run less board wipes, I run less card draw, I tend to run more of this, uh, which is your deck's plan, what your deck is doing. Because right now, um, now if you're playing in a heavy competitive meta, then you always want to streamline these things. But if you're not, um, I highly recommend finding flavorful cards, even if they're not the best versions of them, to put in your deck that will go towards your theme. For example, I have a... um, an illusion tribal deck and I have a counter spell that costs four mana, which is not great. Um, you kind of want that to cost um, two or one, um, but it's a four mana spell, but it also creates a two, two illusion. 
So it adds to what I'm trying to do. So it adds flavor. So no other deck would I put that in, but in this deck I'm putting it in because it adds, it creates a, a, um, a, an illusion creature for me and it builds on my illusion plan. So think about um, any ways you can make your deck closer to the theme. Um, will also let your cards do um, more than one thing, which is always good in commander. Um, kind of just your basic, whatever this like selection will be basically whatever your deck is trying to do. So if you're a creature deck, this is where you put all your creatures and you kind of figure out um, what are the creatures that don't fit into the other categories you want in your deck. And you probably want to put more of your um, utility cards here, like artifacts that help your main strategy mm-hmm. and things like that. Um, yeah. If you're going to be flinging artifacts at your opponents to deal damage yeah. to them, this is where you put the things that will help you get those cards. Yeah, right now I'm building, um, rebuilding an old deck I used to play called Thromac. Um, and the idea of him, he devours a lot of creatures. And for each creature he devours, he gets X um, plus one plus one counters times the X amount of creatures he's devoured. So if he devours 10 creatures, he gets 100 plus one plus one counters. So the deck is focused on getting as many creatures as I can into play that he can devour. And then I can have 100, 100 on the table and I can either fling him using effects or he can swing. And that's basically the, the, the idea of the deck. And to do that, I have enchantments that double up tokens. I have um, enchantments that create tokens themselves. And so I might have a lot of like creatures that just create other creatures just so I can just get as wide as possible. So when he comes down, he can be as big as possible. So that's kind of my goal of that deck. And so those 33 cards are actually not all creatures. There's a lot of enchantments and things that aren't necessarily mana ramp, card draw or removal. That just ways to get me more creatures quickly. So I can get my commander to do his thing. You kind of want to think about too is in the section, you want to fit in some, what I call alternative win strategies. Um, your deck, you kind of want two to three different ways to win. Because if you're playing just to do combat damage, the player who plays the um, I can't take damage enchantment or something like that prevents you from winning the game. So look into your theme and see if there's any other types of wins that you can try to do with your theme. The other um, the other thing that um, I definitely think your deck should always have, and we talked about this at the beginning, is a very clear um, strategy or plan know what your deck is trying to do um when you just throw like standard staples into a deck and then go for it it's so unfocused that you probably won't win a game you'll probably lose to um commander starter decks which are a lot more focused and yeah yeah they 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 always have a goal that they're trying to complete so that's why they're more likely to win and always look for interesting and fun synergies with your themes to throw into your deck um they tend to be actually more useful and so just, I have some cards that are completely useless in other decks, but are 100% like my haymakers in my in, in, in this deck because they do the one thing this deck needs to do, but in every other deck it's useless. Um, and this also includes your utility cards. Um, these can also be just like my counterspell. It's like a targeted removal card, but created a 2-2 illusion for my illusion tribal deck is a great just like um, synergistic card in that deck it does two things for me and it actually plays to my deck's strengths so yeah so definitely look uh look at that when you kind of build your deck but yeah that's pretty much um kind of like my my primer like my my template of the decks i build um like we said earlier every every deck is its own kind of beast um every player has their own preferences um you could be a deck that a player who is 100 percent okay with running less lands yeah like and me, your decks don't. Yeah, like me. You can be a player who I who I, I I told a player I had thirty five lands in there, and he's like, I'd never play a deck with less than forty five lands in it. I'm like, that's that's just that's him, and um and that's just how you play a game. 
But I kind of will recap my numbers just so you guys can kind of have an idea. Um, I like 35 lands. Cool. I like eight um, mana rock, mana ramp type things. Perfect. I like about six card draw cards. Excellent. I like about um, about four to six um, targeted removal cards. Remove the stuff. I like about two to three board wipes. Kill everything. Probably three is probably where it is. Yep, kill everything. I like about 40 cards of my deck's main plan. Do the thing you're like supposed to do. One to two do. commanders. One to yeah. two commanders. Exactly. Or possibly three if you run a companion. Dun, dun, um, dun. But anyways, um, that is pretty much it for the commander stuff. What are you? Uh, what are you doing in your free time now? Like, what? What's your new nerdy uptake that you've been doing? Well, actually, um, I asked. Um, I just last night watched the newest episode of Doctor Who. Cool. I'm very excited about the series. Um, it's called the the whole series. It's only six episodes this season, um, and it's all based around this flux um, storyline. And I won't go too much into it because I don't want to give away the story. Yeah. But please don't. I haven't watched it's it a yet. Six, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a six-parter, which is quite cool, and it's only um, and it's all kind of a continuous story arc, which is something we haven't seen for a while. Um, if you um, are a fan of the classic series, there's a really good arc of um, Doctor Who called the Keys to Time series, which takes Tom Baker and he goes around and he tries to collect all the keys to time. And so there's about five stories I think in there that are four parts each that are all about this um, getting these keys of time and each one is a different story arc. Well, this one's kind of falls into that um, realm of as a kind of an epic storytelling over six parts. And so it's like a mini series within the series. And I'm very excited about that. I'm liking the new companion. Um, we've lost two companions and we've gotten a new one. Um, and he seems quite cool. Cool. Um, I won't tell you anything about him because that's spoiler territory. But yeah, I'm just very excited about the new Doctor Who, and I'm excited that this new series coming out. Because Doctor Who, Wheel of Time, mm-hmm. I don't know when Cowboy Bebop comes out, but that's, oh, that's on the horizon. Yeah, that, that's, that's in the distant um, future. I saw a preview today for the new Bubba Fett series. There's a lot of just really good sci-fi and fantasy stuff coming out, and I'm very excited about television next year. Yeah. Um, yeah, pretty much the only thing I've been doing is um, I've been in outline mode, Um I've been reading the Magician series, finally, like you've been telling me to. Um, I read the first one a while back. I reread it again to kind of get caught up again. And um, I was telling you, I started reading the second book, and I was like, oh, this one isn't nearly as good as the uh, first one. And then I got about halfway through, and I said, never mind, this one's better than the first one. So yeah. So that took me a little time on that one. So I'm starting the third one up probably probably not until next month, just so I can like really sit down and focus on it. But um, the other thing I've been doing is, um, because I've been really messing around with uh, Procreate and things like that, is um, I decided to try and draw a map for my... Uh, for my uh, NaNoWriMo project, like I was saying earlier, you know, kind of based off the West Coast and stuff. So it's been kind of fun. I've been watching, like, map drawing tutorials and, like, how to kind of make them, like, look like fantasy. So it's been pretty fun. I might put that up on the Facebook group when it's more complete. But This is the map you sent me, right? Yeah, yeah, it's the one I sent you when I was, yeah, that was about... Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah, about, like, 20% of it done when I send it to you, so... Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, other than that, uh, NaNoWriMo, get get writing. That, that means you, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah, I do need to start writing. Um, yeah, it's been, um, a pretty, uh, pretty interesting episode of more, um, ethereal than we normally go. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very, um, concept. Yeah. Very, very opinion, opinion versus like, I like this thing and here's the reasons why this is like, here's how you should do things in my opinion. (laughs) 
Yeah. And it's 100% my opinion with the mm-hmm. Canada because uh, thing. I do find that a lot of new players do like to have like a template. Like, mm-hmm. But yeah, I mean, I'm sure I'm sure there's templates out there for how to make a world from start to finish. Um, world Anvil, fun fact, is a really cool program. I played around with that a little bit. Um, it's a website, totally free use. You can pay extra to like get extra benefits and stuff. But it's um, it's I guess I'll plug this. We're not being sponsored by them. I know there's a lot of sponsors out there. Um, I think it's a really cool project. Um, I got turned on to it because I saw a sponsorship by a YouTuber I watched called Jenny D. And uh, she talked about how you can like share certain parts of your story that you're writing with your players and give them access to it. Some of you can make fully public and some of you can make game master only. So you can kind of literally have everything all in one spot. So you don't have to like spell out everything for your players. You'd be like, go look at the world anvil. It has everything on there. So yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah. But, uh, but yeah. Um, other than that, um, yeah. Thank you so much for joining us. Yeah, um, I'll put a link to all of our uh, social media in the uh, outro, but you can find me on uh, Instagram at uh, Nate Newt Campbell. You can find me on YouTube under Timelapse GS. Um, all one word? Yeah. All one word. Yep. I don't know if it matters that the GS is capitalized, but it is in my, my version. But yeah. Um, yeah, we'll have, I have some um, commanders content on there as well i have one of my decks up there i'm working on putting more deck videos up there so if you want to see some of my decks um i will be talking about some of them on that channel yeah yeah and um, i also have a link to his instagram on the uh show links thing as well um i think it's under the same name right time lapse gs yep so yeah it's all in there you can find it we'll put a link in for the command zone the um, Mm -hmm. the deck building that i was kind of comparing to to their video they have a really lengthy video that goes a lot more depth into what i did so if you want more in-depth look into deck building um we'll have a link for that in there too and i'll also put a link to the victoria schwab videos that i was talking about and to brandon sanderson's as well so um and make sure you put world anvil in there too yeah and i'll put the world anvil thing in there even though we're not sponsored by world anvil thank you world anvil (laughs) Mm -hmm. but we could be we could be i legitimately world anvil get at me i love your stuff um (laughs) Um, other than that um, I hope you all have a great pleasant day I'm going to try and get this edited and get it up as soon as possible and then uh, from this point on we're going to be going to a bi-weekly show so I'm probably going to have this one up by um, hopefully the second or the third and then we'll start doing it every other week just because my my free time does not agree with my editing the podcast time so you know I have a life we'll have holidays and stuff coming up as well so that will be Mm-hmm. Um, an issue working around that and travel time and stuff yeah. like that, but we'll you will get yeah. to you guys and we will have, like you said, yeah. bi-weekly. Yes, the, yeah. we, we love recording the show. I love editing the show. I just also love spending time with my dog and with my girlfriend and with my hobbies. So, <laughs> what? I have I a know. life. I have a life. God. It's so weird. I have nerdy the things. Audacity. I have nerdy things that I do. <laughs> the audacity. Yeah. Yes. All right. Uh, well. Cool. Thank you so much, and uh, bye-bye. See you in the next one. Bye-bye for now. Thank you so much for listening to our podcast. I just want to start out really quick by saying thank you so much to Kevin McLeod for letting us use his song, One-Eyed Maestro, from Incompetech. You can find a link to that song in our show notes, as well as a link to all of our social media. 
Uh, we'd also like to invite you to uh, head to our Facebook group and leave some comments and kind of talk about some of your favorite nerdy things. Other than that, I hope you enjoy the rest of your day and you live your best life. Bye-bye. Thank you.